thank you so much for tuning into NL Newsday here on this Friday, October the 22nd. Now, British Columbia's Premier is defending proposed changes to BC's Freedom of Information Act. Among the changes that are being scrutinized include a fee for non-personal freedom of information requests and the ability for personal information of British Columbians to be stored outside of the country. John Horgan defending the possibility of a fee yesterday, citing the increase in the number of FOI requests coming in over the past couple of years and a need to make up some dollars there. He also tried his best to suggest that the $25 charge that was mentioned by Citizen Services Minister Lisa Baer earlier this week was not actually really on the table in the beginning anyways. Horgan went on to say voluntary disclosure is the best way forward and that BC would not be allowed in charging a fee that applicants are expected to pay in other jurisdictions. So for more on the proposed FOI changes, there's a lot more to this than just those two things. So let me welcome in now the executive director of the BC Freedom of Information and Privacy Association, Jason Woiwata. Jason, how are you today? So far, so good. Great to be here. Yeah, really appreciate your time, and uh, thank you so much for joining me. This might not be an issue, I guess, that really is, uh, you know, the top of mind for just the average British Columbian, but maybe just on a general sense before we start to dig into this. I mean, how, how concerning should this be for just sort of the general population when we see freedom of information uh, being potentially altered here? I mean, this should be a concern, even if you're not someone who's filing FOI requests. Uh, this is this is exactly the case because ultimately transparency matters to everyone, right? It, it matters to workers and public bodies that are seeking information about their employers. This impacts parents, teachers, and students in the education system. It impacts patients, doctors, and nurses in healthcare. There's Indigenous peoples that are trying to exercise jurisdiction over their lands and natural resources. It impacts them. It impacts businesses that are seeking equitable contracts and transparent procurement. And civil society groups that are trying to represent the underrepresented in society. On top of that, there's also cases where lawyers have used freedom of information requests just to be able to deal with people that are facing injustice. So while FOI is framed as something that only the media uses, this impacts every aspect of our democratic society, and that's why this is so important. Yeah, and you can just look at the numbers that bear that out. Uh, I think they said there was somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 FOI requests in the calendar year of 2020, and about 800 of those, I think, came from members of the media. So clearly it's being used by a lot more than just media members. Okay, I want to get into the fee here, because uh, John Horgan really tried to walk that back yesterday, basically saying, uh, you know, there there is the um, ability to charge a fee. It would be allowable in the proposed changes that are here but that's not necessarily on the table okay fair enough but if it's going to allow for that i mean it would only almost be a matter of time before a charge would be implemented here uh clearly that would have a hindrance particularly for for media because we're talking about uh you know resources that are being cut on a very frequent basis throughout this or, uh, industry uh you know the they just don't have the time money and resources to be able to pay a 25 dollar fee every time they want to file an foi request but again this goes beyond the media. So how concerning would it be to see, I mean, a, a fee somewhere in the neighborhood of $25 really impacting people's ability to reach out and try to get some freedom of information requests actually um, 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 completed here? Yeah, and this is really the concern that we have around the fee as well, because, you know, they, they, they thought they could try and sneak in a fee and they knew everyone would gravitate to saying that that was a bridge too far and they'll roll that back or at least they'll say they're going to make sure they're not going to implement that right now. You know, the, the issue here is how can we trust them on that? They said that they were going to improve access to information and yet here they are trying to prevent people from getting that and 
presenting the possibility of a fee. And while the government says that they'll step back and maybe not introduce a fee right now, that doesn't mean that local public bodies aren't going to start introducing that possibility. Because unless the province makes it explicitly clear in the legislation and instead opens this up so that other public bodies can set their own fee limits within a range, then he has no control over that. And so that's part of the issue here. This isn't just a fee that is going to impact CBC or CTV or Global or the Globe and Mail and and larger papers like the Vancouver Sun. This is an issue that impacts the local weekly newspapers in their communities that are trying to get access to municipal files and information from the local school boards or the local health authorities. And, And that's the issue there because as much as these larger organizations may have deeper pockets, these smaller organizations definitely don't. And this will cause a chilling effect in terms of access to information and transparency. What, what did you make of, of John Horgan's comments yesterday when he was, you know, showing off his phone and talking about how, uh, you know, he plays Scrabble and he's got Spotify on his phone. And when he was in the, the legislature, he was talking about how no one cares what's on his computer screen. I guess it was of course, sort of in relation to the possibility of, of uh, the premier's office being exempt, which I think has already been something that's been removed from this or, or will be based on what the privacy commissioner, Michael McAvoy, had sort of put out in his uh, letter of concern about these proposed changes uh, but really the one thing that just bugged me about the way he was kind of talking about this was almost saying like hey this doesn't matter it's not a story nothing to see here when clearly there's something to see here based on how concerned a lot of people are about this you know it's, it's interesting because in opposition premier horgan was one of the people that was championing greater access to information and greater transparency um and the unfortunate reality here is when we look at issues like you know, the scandal that took place when Jimmy Sims was using private communication devices and apps on her phone to communicate with staff. Um, you know, there's there's also the, the component that um, there is a concern on the part of the public to make sure that what is taking place in the legislature is available to them. This is part of the public record. There are important documents and a duty to document that needs to be maintained within government. And... When we start seeing these types of scenarios coming into place where we are not only reducing access to information, we're then increasing the likelihood because of shifting the ability for these uh, bodies to use apps and technologies in foreign jurisdictions, that our personal information is going to be at greater risk. And that's a deep concern. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to move on here just to the the point about basically storing data of British Columbians outside of Canada. Uh, you know, just on the surface, I mean, that just sounds like something we wouldn't want to, you know, be walking down that kind of a road. Uh, but I guess, you know, the reason it is coming up is it's kind of pandemic related from the way I read it. And that's, you know, when we're talking about things like virtual doctor visits or something that there might be in, or international students, for example, when we're talking about post-secondary education. Education. It might make it easier if data was stored somewhere else to be able to access it depending on what process you're going through, whether it be student records or health data, things like that. I mean, I guess there could be some reasoning that makes sense behind it all. But at the end of the day, I really think I would prefer that my data as a Canadian be stored in Canada. How, how does the, the FIPA feel about this particular piece of this? Well, it's it's really important to maintain data residency. It's that straightforward. And when, when you look at the limited public engagement that was used to justify these changes, 
all of the public members and all the public submissions are pointing to the importance of data residency being maintained for precisely the reasons you just mentioned. And the key dynamic in this case is there is a real important um, dynamic and risk that sets in if we start moving our information outside of Canada. It's entirely understandable that BC, because of risk uh, analysis, would want to make sure its data is stored in other provinces within Canada. That makes sense. Right. Not a problem there at all. But the issue is when we start storing our data and information in other jurisdictions that also happen to be advocating for an end to end to end encryption, then we have no guarantee that we protect it. And you know, we've we've worked with people and have heard from from researchers at locations like the Citizen Lab and the Center for Law and Democracy that are watching the international scene and looking at what the data implications are. And encryption is the only thing that protects our data when we store it in other jurisdictions. And if that continues, that's fine. But right now, there's a growing international effort to try and remove end-to-end -end encryption so that foreign powers can have access to the information stored in their jurisdiction. And the instant that comes into play, BC loses that protection on its local information for its citizens. The other dynamic that kicks in with this is right now, BC is unique in having that data residency provision in its legislation. It's one of the reasons why big tech companies are trying to force it out. Once we get rid of it, we are not going to get it back. But they can't get rid of it because it was here prior to some of these other pieces of international trade agreements being signed. So this is a vital uh, piece of the puzzle that has to be maintained. And trying to say otherwise, like this isn't an issue and the public doesn't think this is an issue, the threats are real and the risk is there. And this government has the option of maintaining that as a residency or getting rid of it. And if they get rid of it, they increase the risk that your information is going to end up in the hands of a foreign power. Wow. Wow, that uh, really does make it sound even more concerning when I when I hear it come from you, Jason. So I appreciate that response. You know, it was something that triggered me a little bit when I read it. Uh, but yeah, once you kind of get into the nitty gritty of just the, the potential risk that comes with that, yeah, it definitely sounds a, a little bit more worrisome than maybe it just is on the surface when you first read this. Um, that, that was really the, the points I wanted to get across here with you, Jason. But I think there's probably more to this uh, this proposed change out there that, than just these couple of things. So is there anything else, you know, that, that is highlight worthy that maybe uh, you think the public, the general population should be aware of when we're talking about these changes that are being put on the table here? Is, what are some of the other major concerns that FIPA has identified? Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, part of the issue is that, that the bill was tabled when there was a sitting process in place. And ultimately, the tabling of this bill short-circuit the democratic process. The concern here is there's a special legislative committee that is mandated in legislation to review FIPA every few years. And they have a clear and, and open uh, submission process. They take information in from the public, and they report back to the legislature. And it's an all-party committee that reaches a consensus on what changes need to take place in the legislation. What this government is doing and John Horgan are doing is they're not allowing that to proceed without mucking about. And they're trying to prejudge where this needs to land before the committee has even completed its work. There was a point of privilege raised in the House on this. And the concern is that, again, they're undermining the work of the committee. They are short-circuiting and preventing open and transparent input 
into the perspective changes and saying we know best, the public isn't to be listened to, and we're going to make these changes regardless of what they want. So we're calling on, on a, a broad-based coalition to actually come forward and help us raise awareness that transparency does matter and it does impact every aspect of our democratic society. Jason, uh, really appreciate your time on this. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll definitely have uh, some follow-up questions, I'm sure, as this process continues to unveil itself. So thank you so much for the time today. And uh, I guess uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that for now, but uh, we'll, we'll hopefully have a chance to catch up soon. Great. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Executive Director there of the BC Freedom of Information and Privacy Association, Jason Woyawada, speaking to those proposed changes to the Freedom of Information Act uh, that the NDP government here in British Columbia is wanting to see move ahead. Yeah, a lot of talk, and I think the big thing that's kind of making the waves right now is the potential for a fee for any Freedom of Information request to be filed. Just to file the request. Uh, earlier in the week, I said it off the top, uh, Citizen Services Minister Lisa Baer suggested that a fee could be somewhere in the neighborhood of $25. Well, yesterday, when the Premier was asked about this, he really was trying to basically ease any concern, saying, you know, it's it's a possibility, but there is no actual fee that's incorporated into the uh, the bill as it's been tabled right now. It's not there. It just sort of leaves the door open for a fee to be put in place if we decided to go down that road. Okay. Like, clearly, if you're going to put that in there, a fee is going to come online at some point. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. If they're leaving that window cracked, it's only a matter of time before the wind blows through it, right? So that's something that definitely has to be a concern. And, you know, again, maybe it's not a big deal to the general population, but when it comes to journalists trying to do their job, uh, that is something that could be a real hindrance on on people trying to tell you what's going on when it comes to the BC government, when it comes to the, the goings-on within the legislature. And as Jason was saying, it has a huge trickle-down effect. This isn't just about government, but it comes down to municipal files and school board files and things like this. There's just going to be a, a barrier to accessing some of those pieces of information. So there's definitely a concern when it comes to that. He talked about the issue around uh, data residency, keeping Canadians' data in Canada. That just seems logical to me. Don't know why our government would even be considering trying to offshore some of that stuff. Makes zero sense to me. Uh, wouldn't, would you feel okay if your information as a British Columbian was being taken and stored in the U.S. or who knows where else? Russia, uh, China, Mexico, I don't know. I don't know exactly where this information could potentially be going, but as he said, once it's out of our hands, you're not getting it back. That is definitely an issue as well. I'll play a couple of quick clips here for you. Uh, we'll start with this one from John Horgan yesterday, sort of just, again, trying to really ease any quells that people might have about this change that is being proposed right now, and Honestly, to me, it was a little bit condescending in the way that he responded to this question, but I'll let you kind of make your own determination. We played it for you yesterday, but let's play it again. Here's John Horgan talking about the freedom of information changes as they're proposed right now. It's not the intention, uh, our intention, to, uh, to uh, restrict access, people's individual access. Now, there will be no fee for individuals uh, looking for information, but um, I don't know if you want to zoom in on that. That's my... That's my uh, telephone screen you'll see from that that uh, I play Scrabble I have Spotify uh, I check my heart rate uh, I know what the weather's going to be like in uh, Prince Rupert and uh, I have uh, email I have uh, text messages 
and I have a telephone and a, a host of other things that I don't even know what they are. But for some reason, the opposition believes that not just my telephone, but the telephones of thousands of, of public servants should be available uh, for some reason known only to them. I think the vast majority of British Columbians could care less, and they would prefer that their government focus on providing uh, information to them as they request it so they can have a better understanding of why government makes decisions. Yeah, and right off the top saying it's not our intention to make information more difficult to access. And he talks about being upfront and, and releasing information willingly so that a freedom of information request is not needed. Yeah, that's great in theory, uh, but you're kind of having the opposite intent by moving forward with some of these changes. So there's definitely a little bit of concern on my part on all of this. Uh, clearly, there's a concern from the BC Freedom of Information and Privacy Association on this. And there's also a lot of concern from the opposition. Now, one of the things that I think John Horgan was really trying to pin this on was how the BC Liberal Party, the official opposition, has been really increasing the number of freedom of information requests that it has been issuing or, or requesting uh, over the course of the last couple of years. This was a tool the NDP used while the BC Liberals were in power and so pointing your finger at the opposition and almost saying like, hey, this is their fault. They're, they're overusing this policy that exists, trying to collect information. Uh, maybe blame them. I don't appreciate the way that he has gone about that. Because I guarantee you if the coin was flipped and this was the BC Liberals in power and they were the ones trying to put forward a bill like this, the NDP would be all over it and incredibly upset. And I can tell you right now, the BC Green Party feels this way as well. I had Sonia Fersno, leader of the BC Greens, on this show yesterday to talk a little bit about the FOI situation. And here's a little bit of what Sonia had to say. And she is concerned on multiple fronts when it comes to this. I'm concerned on so many fronts, and uh, I'll start with, we had a report from the committee that reviewed this act in 2016. They came forward with about 11 recommendations, and as I outlined in my second reading speech, this, uh, the, these amendments are actually the opposite of what was recommended by the Legislative Committee in 2016. So that's one mm -hmm. giant concern that I have. Number two, there is currently another committee that's been struck uh, and with the task of reviewing this legislation and to come back to the legislature with a report next June. And instead of waiting for that legislative committee's report and all of the input that they would get from experts and from the public and from, you know, the Freedom of Information Commissioner and uh, media uh the government went ahead and made massive amendments to this bill while this committee is still supposed to do its work. And uh, my my colleague, Adam Olson, uh, raised the point of, of privilege on this. And in fact, the, the decision, while technically it was ruled um, that he raised it too late, the, the speaker did say that uh, government needs to respect the work of legislative committees. And then third, of course, the implications of these amendments are very significant to making government less transparent, making it more difficult for public to access what is their information. It's public information. The government is a public body. It's paid for by the public. It's meant to, meant to serve the public. And the public should have access to what information government is using to make decisions, how they're making those decisions, why they're making those decisions, who's at the table, all of that information should be available because those decisions are being made on behalf 
of the public of British Columbia. So there's a little bit of what's going on when it comes to how parties that aren't affiliated with the NDP, how they're feeling, how members of the Legislative Assembly are dealing with this situation. Um, of course, there's an NDP majority right now, so I'm curious to see how this moves forward. I'm definitely going to be following up with, uh, hopefully, Jason Waywada again with the P uh, Freedom of Information and Privacy Association of BC on this um, as this process moves ahead. So I'm very curious to see what changes, if any, are made on this bill before, if, and when it does pass. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll just have to monitor, I guess, but I think the more people raise their voice, the more people are concerned about it, the more likely we are to see things being walked back. Not just in speech, but in practice as well.